Hello and welcome to the In The Pen Podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. This is a podcast about relievers. My name is Jake Crumpler, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and Pitcherless bullpen expert, Rick Graham. Rick, how have you been doing? I know you just got done with your PitchCon panel, but how are you feeling about baseball in 2024 and I guess relievers more specifically? Yeah, I'm starting to get to that ramp-up period. Um, you know, end of January, there's only two more rounds of the uh, NFL playoffs. So, yeah, we're, we're getting close to, um, you know, baseball season again. And, yeah, PitchCon, I just got done with that, talking some sleepers and busts with uh, Eric Dabman and Ray Murphy. It's a great time for a great cause. I know you're going to be on there tomorrow. So, tomorrow being Friday the 26th. So, for those of you listening, when this podcast comes out, there's still three days left of PitchCon if you haven't um, checked it out yet. Definitely check it out this weekend if you get some time. Um, a lot of great panels, a lot of great you know guests. Uh, we had Jeff Passon on earlier pretty crazy so yeah, uh, yeah definitely definitely worth checking out yeah not only an incredible event basically a, a one-of-a-kind event in terms of free content and just the sort of scope of right. it the five straight days of basically like eight hours of baseball content from basically like everybody in the industry i was super surprised to see my favorite podcast co-hosts uh, from effectively wild ben Lindbergh and meg rally are both on there but yeah like you said jeff passan it's got every single person you could imagine from the baseball industry and on top of all the great content we're also raising money for als so that'll be we're looking to raise ten thousand dollars i think we reached that mark last year but we'll be hoping to do that again uh so definitely go watch that donate if you are able to and on top of all of the excitement from pitchcon we also have gotten pretty lucky as people that analyze bullpens we finally had the glut of relievers signed we've been waiting all offseason for any sort of action in terms of free agency trading anything just to give us more topics to discuss not only on the podcast but you know in our dms and everything give us more stuff to analyze rick is the guy that's putting out our rankings and it's pretty hard to do rankings when you don't know where guys are going to play especially it's so dramatic amongst relievers when roles play such an important part in fantasy value. But we had basically all of the top relievers sign and then a bunch of middle tier relievers and even some minor interesting ones. And it all sort of happened at once in the past week, which is great because it gives us the opportunity to do basically a transactions podcast. So we'll mostly be going over the transactions from the past week, breaking all those down so that you can be prepared for the fantasy impact all of these moves have. And if you stick around for the end, we'll have a little surprise for the loyal listeners that stick around for the full hour. But Rick, you think you're ready to uh, just hop right into this? Yeah, let's do it. There's a lot, lot to get to. So let's see. Yeah, let's dive right in. All right. We'll start off with some smaller moves and then we'll work our way up to the big ones because we know everybody's going to be waiting for those. So they'll have to stick around and listen. Um, we'll start off with the Rays signing Naoyuki Uesawa to a minors deal. He'll have a one year split contract, meaning he'll make 250K while pitching in the minors and two and a half million while pitching in the majors with some incentives built in. But this is somewhat of an interesting signing because Uesawa was a starter throughout his time in Japan. He's pitched there for the past 11 years, made his debut at the age of 19, and he's a like a solid starter, but he's more so of the ilk of Kyle Hendricks where he's a he's a soft tosser and he's going to make his play by you know, dotting the edges and and getting the most out of the movement on his pitches, but it seems as though the Rays are going to try him out as a reliever with the idea that they can help him take his game to another level. Um, I'll let you give your thoughts on him before I break down some of the stuff that I think makes him interesting. So I believe it was, you know, Saris who had tweeted something about him, you know, wondering if the, the Rays could, would turn him into a reliever if, you know, if they just kind of, use him in shorter stints his velo would you know if he could get his velo up a little bit um there could be some sort of reliever there um i don't know enough about him uh really to give a thought either way but it's 
it's the Rays, and it's a, it's clearly a pretty interesting arm. There was other teams, I believe, that were interested. So, um, yeah, it's it's a name to keep an eye on. Again, the Rays, and the next guy we're going to talk about is another Rays. Um, you know, just a name to keep an eye on. Nothing, to, nothing really actionable right now, but just see see what mm-hmm. happens in spring training with these guys. Yeah, uh, well, what I was going to say on Uasawa was pretty similarly tied to what Eno was saying. I think he does have a fastball that could play up if used correctly, because while the mm-hmm. velocity is low 90s, it has really good spin and vertical approach angle. And that's something that baseball analytics has sort of uncovered across the past couple of years and found a way to not only use that to their advantage, but help players reach another level with that. So maybe the usage or or the, the way that he's throwing that fastball could make it even better. And and like you said, pitching out of the bullpen, maybe he could add a couple of ticks on the velocity on that pitch, but you sort of hinted at the other guy that they signed and that was Jacob Wagusback who they signed to a minor minor league deal. He had played for the Orcs Buffaloes in MPB the past couple of years. He was sort of uh, not great when he played in the majors. Uh, big reason why he had to go over to Japan. But I, I don't know what he changed, but he didn't have great success in Japan. But the stuff coming out of his arm looks absolutely incredible. If the listeners remember Oliver Drake, he had this super crazy uh, over the head delivery where he would lean his body all the way to the left and, and still pitch very overhead. Um, Waggy's back is very similar to that, except I think he throws with more velocity and the race have been known to build their bullpen out with guys that come from all different arm angles just to force hitters to look at different angles and, and makes it a lot harder to really combat relief pitchers who are, don't look the same or look just so different. So you, you go from one guy that's throwing th- super over the top and then you go to like a, a Tyler Rogers or whatever, and people are going to have a hard time adjusting to that. But this is a guy that if he had gone to any other team, I don't think I would have thought anything of it, but landing on the raise right. is, is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking back at, so the last time he pitched in the major leagues was 2020 uh, fastball was around 92 92 and a half um but i believe he was working yeah more of a long relief role starter back then so maybe in the short and you know shorter innings he can you know um, bump that up to 94 95 and from that weird yeah that like way that 12 to 6 arm angle it can come out a little funky uh it yeah it's the raise so it's an interesting name to keep an eye on um see if those changes that he made in japan stick Yes, and another guy that somewhat similar to uh, maybe sort of a combination of the last two, Brent Suter signed with the Reds. It is a major league deal for one year and two and a half million. It comes with a three and a half million dollar club option for 2025 that includes a $500,000 buyout. He has been sort of a, uh, I don't know, uh, a guy that can eat a lot of innings out of the bullpen, which is not something you usually see in terms of I don't know, really relievers in general. Usually you consider guys who eat a lot of innings to be starters, but this is a guy that has consistently been above or around 70 innings pitched for each of the past three seasons in Milwaukee and Colorado. And surprisingly, he actually was really good in Colorado and he's been very consistent throughout his career, despite a fastball that sits in the mid eighties. But I think there's some consideration that this guy could find his way into the rotation, but there is a lot of depth in Cincinnati in terms of the rotation and their bullpen isn't that great. And so I think he'd be a good arm to have there that could provide some length, either in a multi-ending role or just the ability to be available all the time. I doubt this has any precedence for fantasy because he's not a big holds guy last year, seven holds and a pretty bad Rockies bullpen. But do you think there's a possibility Brent Suter is a guy you can look for, for wins like we've seen in the past when he had 12 wins for the 2021 Brewers? Yeah, that, that's probably the only way you're going to get some fantasy value out of him. Um, <laughs> it's he, nothing really sticks out about him. I still think 2.5 million. That's a pretty good deal. That's a, that's a fair deal for the Reds. It's worth a shot. He's, he's definitely a better real life. Um, pitcher than a fantasy asset 
even if he is getting a ton of holds, you know, there's there's not a ton of strikeouts that come with it. And he's also unfortunately he goes from Coors to another, you know, hitter friendly park. Um so yeah, the wins would be like the one reason to roster him if he's one of if he is working in the middle of games and vulturing some wins. That that's one reason to keep him around, but other than that, there's there's no real fantasy value here. Yeah, I think he works well in these home run heavy ballparks because he he's been pretty solid at, at limiting the home runs throughout his career. I, I I think his home runs per nine is why can't I find it? It was it's one point oh seven for his career last year. He was really good at limiting it, so maybe that's why he was so good last year. He was pretty lucky, but I I don't know. Uh, I I don't think that's a legitimate skill that many players can carry over season to season if you're not a huge ground ball guy, but. I think we've uh, already spent too much time on Brent Suter. So we'll move on to the Yankees signing of Luke Weaver to a one-year, $2.5 million contract. Surprisingly, it comes with $6 million of incentives that are solely based on his innings pitch total, which makes sense given that this is a guy that's gone in and out of rotations and bullpens in 2022. He was almost strictly a reliever, but last year he was almost strictly a starter across three teams, pitched for the Reds, the Mariners, and the Yankees. And he was pretty solid for the Yankees, 3.38 ERA. He found some strikeouts there as well. Got a strikeout up to 28% after it was around 17% with the previous two teams. So there's something here. That being said, we're not totally sure what his role is going to be. They have a pretty set rotation with Cole Rodon, Stroman Schmidt, and Nestor Cortez. And the bullpen is pretty deep, but I think Weaver could be a swingman guy. This is going to be another wins play because I don't foresee him factoring into the late innings here. But given that he seemed to reach another level after being a guy that's never really been a strikeout guy since his debut, always been around 25% strikeout rate, 20, 22 to 25%. And now getting that all the way up to 28%. I think that could be pretty interesting. Do you see anything else in Weaver? Or is it going to be more so in the same vein of Suter? Yeah, I guess it depends on what the role ends up being. And like you said, probably a swing man, probably a long reliever to start the year. But if you, you if you look at the depth, the depth the Yankees have, it's with their starting rotation. It's, one of those guys goes down. They don't really have, I mean, like looking at AAA, they have Clayton Beater, Cody Petit. I mean, it's conceivable that Weaver does make about 10 or 15 or so starts this year because there's no way that rotation stays healthy all year, obviously. So um, as a reliever, I mean, it would be interesting to see what his stuff, how his stuff would play. He's, he's only 30 years old. It's There's still definitely some time for him to you know turn things around in his career but um yeah i don't I, maybe he's similar to suitor where he ends up getting getting some wins working in the middle of games um similar to how they've used michael king and chad green in the past yeah we'll uh move on to the first and only trade that we're going to discuss and that was the dodgers trading nc almonte to the cubs that wasn't the whole deal this was the Michael Bush, Jackson Ferris deal. Those are the key pieces going to each side. But Yancey Almonte got snuck over to the Cubs in the meantime. And his career has been pretty up and down. When he was with the Rockies, he showed a lot of potential. But obviously, pitching in course, it's pretty difficult to attain that. So he left course, went to the Dodgers in 2022, and was incredible. 1.02 ERA across 35 innings for them. And it seemed as though the Dodgers had worked their magic again, but things fell apart in 2023 as the walks went up his era went up above five that's a four run increase from year to year um and it's sort of hard to tell who he is now is he the guy that he was in 2022 is he the guy that he was in 2023 and with the rockies or is he somewhere in between it's likely the third option but he is still pretty interesting he's got a really great slider he throws in the mid 90s and he's pretty good at inducing weak contact and PLV grades out pretty nicely for him as well. I also do have a newfound trust in the Cubs to turn relievers into relief aces as we saw them do with Julian Merriweather last year, which maybe that's just uh, him being healthy for the whole year. But 
do you find any intrigue in Yancy Almonte in a bullpen that I don't consider to be super deep, especially considering that roster resource has Drew Smiley as their second setup man? I think Yancy Almonte could work his way into some holds. Yeah, again, this is a it, it's a bullpen that's got some interesting pieces and is deep, but there's no yeah, like who who the number one or two is. I mean, it could be up in the air. Um, I think Yancy Almonte is. Um, you know, throws hard, has pretty good, you know, PLV liked him last year, 5.24 PLV, even in the down year. So there's some, there's some interesting pieces here. Um, you know, I don't, I like, there's some guys that, I mean, Luke Little, I feel like there's some of the young guys in this bullpen are going to step up this year, like Luke Little and, um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Palencia, who was probably going to start the year in AAA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Almonte is not someone who maybe he's like a watch guy and holds leagues. Um, but like, yeah, you talk about Drew Smiley being after Alzale and Merriweather on the depth chart. And yeah, there, there's definitely an opening for, for some, for another holds guy here. Um, whether that's Mark Leiter, if he can regain his, you know, his gains from last year in the first half or, uh, El Monte, yeah, it, it, there, there's an opening for, for some holds value. Yeah, all right. Well, we are now nearing the time where we go over the really big signings, and a, a couple of them sort of ruin our rankings considering the roles we're expected to see them in. But before we talk about the bigger signings that I think everybody's excited to hear us talk about. We've we've got a quick word from Factor Meals. Get started on your resolutions with Factor so you are ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in the new year. Skip the grocery stores, prep work, and cooking fatigue. Instead, Get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door with over 35 meals to choose from per week, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons. You'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. Factor Now offers loads of snack options as well, like breakfast, smoothies, juices, snacks, and more to keep me going no matter what's on the schedule. So head to factormeals.com slash pen50, that's P-E-N-5-0, and use code pen50 to get 50% off. That's code pen50 at factormeals.com slash pen50 to get 50% off. And we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham on in the pen talking about relievers. As always, we're in the middle of going through all of the signings from the past week, mostly all the reliever signings have have just occurred. But first, we've got a couple, too, that were sort of disappointing for guys like us that want to break down all the relievers, want everybody to be, be reliever. It makes our, our job more interesting. But we'll start off with one that hits close to home for me as the Giants signed Jordan Hicks to a four-year, $44 million deal, which includes $2 million of incentives. And this one's super interesting because the Giants said they were going to use him as a traditional starter. When I heard starter, I thought, okay, maybe he can be an opener, go a couple innings and sort of have a hybrid role where he's used in just every single aspect where he's he's a starter, he's an opener, he's a bolt guy, he's a, a fireman, he's a back-end reliever and a closer, he just does everything. But it sounds like they're just going to use him as a starter, which... I don't know how I feel about that, just given the success he's had as a starter or lack thereof in the past. And, but I am really excited to see him go to the Giants because the Giants just have incredible pitching development. So I'm always excited to see what can happen with any pitcher that goes there, especially one with the incredible stuff that Jordan Hicks has. And I mean, just their ability to increase players' velocities is pretty wild when you consider that Jordan Hicks is going there. He's just going to average like 105 miles per hour next year. But that's super exciting. If things don't work out in the rotation, though, which he's got four years to make it work, he could still end up in the bullpen. And while I wouldn't suggest drafting him as a reliever, I feel like it's more likely he fails as a starter than he succeeds. So if he does fail, where do you think he lines up in the bullpen? Is he like ahead of Tyler and Taylor Rogers or is he behind them in terms of the holds ladder? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, 
I, I don't, I think he's, I mean, just looking at the rotation the Giants have, unless they sign Blake Snell, I don't, I feel like he's going to have to stick in the rotation. But if he does transition transition back to the bullpen, I I wonder if, yeah, if, you know, you have the Rogers brothers setting up the ball, maybe, you know, you use Hicks earlier in games, to, you know, maybe a one or two in or like a two inning guy in the middle of games to kind of bridge that gap where, you know, that's probably a place where he could earn some wins, even if it's only, you know, two or three innings he's throwing. So I, you know, I don't really, I'm not looking for him. I don't think he's going to factor into any relief um, rankings this year. Again, unless the Giants really do something to bolster their rotation, I feel like they are counting on him being in that in that rotation. For sure, yeah. And they all but confirm that just by saying that right. they're going to use him as a traditional starter. So yeah, like we both said, don't draft him as a reliever, but if he gets to the point where he's struggling as a starter and he's hitting your waiver wire because his ERA is bad and it doesn't look like he can handle the workload of being a starter, maybe that's the time to pick him up because he moves into the bullpen and starts picking up holds. The same can be said for the next guy in Yariel Rodriguez, who signed a four year, $32 million deal with the blue Jays. I initially thought, okay, Cool. This guy's going to be in the bullpen. E- even before he signed with the Blue-, Blue Jays, this was a guy that I thought would sort of have a hybrid role where he's s- could be used as a starter if a team needs him that way or could be used out of the bullpen. But considering the state of the Blue Jays pitching staff, I see him more so as a starter. Their bullpen is actually surprisingly deep with Romano and Swanson at the back end and a bunch of guys up in the middle that are very solid or have a lot of potential and their rotation while very solid from the first four with Gaussman, Brios, Bassett and Kikuchi, it gets thin very quickly. They'll be relying on Alec Manoa and probably Ricky Tiedemann to fight for that number five role. And while that has a ton of upside there, Manoa could return to his ace levels that he's shown in previous years. And Tiedemann is one of the top left-handed pitching prospects in all of baseball they're far from a sure thing. And I think Yariel Rodriguez gives them a contingency there where if things don't work out with either of those guys, they've got a very solid guy to turn to as their number five, likely not going to be able to go a ton of innings considering his workload as a reliever in Japan over the past few years. And also the fact that he didn't really pitch in a professional league in 2023. We did get to see him in WBC as a starter though. Right now, roster resource has him as the long reliever, but I think swingman slash mostly starter is probably going to be his role. Right. What do you think? Do, do you think he's going to be more of a starter? And if not, what kind of role do you think he might have in this bullpen? Uh, I, I mean, looking at it, looking at the roster construction right now, it, it seems like he's going to be that, that swing man role makes sense. Uh, he can work, you know, short stints or long. He can go multiple innings. I don't you know yeah i'm sure they're going to want him to compete with manoa in spring training um potentially push him for the that fifth star spot but i i i still think manoa is you know probably got the leg up on him right now so rodriguez i mean yeah that bullpen like even guys like trevor richards richards was pretty good last year and he's like at the back of that you know bullpen depth chart so there's not a lot of room for him right now, but you know, he's only 26. This is his first taste of major league baseball. Um, doesn't hurt to have him kind of settle in as the, you know, the bulk guy to begin with. And then, you know, see, see what happens. So they'll stretch him out in spring training. And if an injury happens early on, then, you know, I'm sure he'd move to the rotation, but um, yeah, I don't, again, for fantasy purposes, uh, outside of dynasty leagues, it's, just a watch for me right now yeah I, I think it makes sense for them to have him prepared to pitch out of the rotation just given the construction of the roster like you said if an injury comes up they'd want him to be able to slot right in they've got guys like chris bassett and and yusei kikuchi who are getting up there in age and i think bassett only has one more year with the blue jays after this year so he's a free agent after 2025 kikuchi's a free agent after this next year so 
the the way things work out, it's like he's probably going to be a reliever in the future, a starter in the future. Uh, but right now, he could have more of a hybrid role, especially if things work out with either one of Manoa or Tiedemann. Uh But <laughs> I was I was pretty disappointed to see both Hicks and Yariel Rodriguez go to teams where it looks like they're going to be starters because th- those were guys I was excited to see out of the bullpen and and talk about right. more so on the podcast, but. You know, they'll, they'll avoid our mouths for at least a, a couple months. <laughs> we can move on to the big one, though. The Astros got the big fish. They signed Josh Hader to a five-year, $95 million deal as it was sort of a response to Kendall Graveman's announcement that he is going to be out for the year after getting labrum surgery. This one's super interesting, not only because Josh, Josh Hader did sign what is technically the largest contract for a reliever. Here's why it's technically Edwin Diaz signed a $102 million deal when he signed with the Mets a couple of years ago, but it had deferred money and not much, just $9 million. Mm -hmm. So it made it a $93 million deal in present day money while haters is at 95 million. So that makes haters the largest in present day money. So Uh it's a, it's a, it's sort of almost a, a petty move to be like, Oh, well I got it in a technicality, but I always thought that he would be the guy going for That's what Hader wanted, the record. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. All right. So it, it makes a lot of sense, but he will join a bullpen that was already pretty stacked. Like we said, they lost Graveman. So they needed to make some sort of move, but little did we think that they'd go straight for the, the top option at closer. So now they'll have Hader in the ninth, Ryan Presley in the eighth and Brian Abreu in the seventh, which a bunch of with a bunch of other guys that should be able to set up pretty nicely for them. Um, I, I'm just going to turn it straight to you on this one. How does how does this affect his ranking? I don't. So I was not. You know, I was probably one of the lower people on Hater uh, even before the signing. But uh, I don't think the rank this this move affects that much. I. If anything, it's I'm, I'm not thrilled about the landing spot from for a couple of reasons. Um, well, but first of all, just from you know that standpoint that you mentioned, Presley and Abreu, the Astros now I think clearly have the top, you know, the best trio of relievers in baseball. Oh, yeah. Right from seventh, like seventh inning on, it's it should be a game over. Uh-huh. Um, but that said, uh, you know, Hader is currently, and this is one of the things, you know, I just talked about uh, during my PitchCon panel, how I have Hader as one of my busts this year because he's currently going, there's a, there's a trio of relievers between Hader, Devin Williams, and Edwin Diaz that are kind of, that are the first, you know, one of those guys is the first closer off the board in pretty much every league right now. They're all going top 45 overall. And I, I think Diaz and Williams are like pretty clearly ahead of Hader. I, I think Hater. I there's other guys I might put ahead of Hater too. Um, you know, <clears throat> he's now that he's been paid, he's got 95 million dollars and, you know, he, there's not really any incentive like people think that that means that he's closing. Well, you know, he's gotten paid. He doesn't why does he care what his role is? It's mm-hmm. you know, he only one he didn't want to pitch more than one inning last year. Does that continue? Is he, you know, is you know, Ryan Presley was still a great closer last year. There's, there's, there could be some sort of platoon there. Um, you know, this is one of the guys, he's got one of the worst ground ball rates in all of baseball. He's going mm-hmm. to a very hitter friendly ballpark, especially for friendly for right handed bats. Yep. And him being left handed, you know, that short portion left is, you know, it's a little sketchy if he, for him to face righties. Um, the secondaries are still lagging behind his fastball. The, it's really his fastball that carries him. His his secondaries are not doing anything. And, you know, for someone who's lost Velo over the past two years, he's about to enter age 30 season. Um, that's not great. You know, we saw Aroldis Chapman was able to, um, he kind of improved his slider and then added a splitter as he got into his 30s. So it's, it's, it's possible that, you know, haters able to adjust, but haven't seen anything yet. Um, and also, it's a smaller thing, but like, you know, Yan Yanir Diaz is going to be the catcher there. He's not a good pitch framer at all for someone like Hader, who, you know, could definitely benefit from a couple extra uh, called strikes with his walk rate. Um, that could be, you know, a thing that makes a difference for him because, you know, he lets up 
you know, opens the inning with a walk and then a little blue poem run to right over the, into the Crawford boxes or whatever, you know, there's just, you know, he's still allowing a lot of hard contact and I don't know. It's just, there's a lot of things that just keep me from, you know, I don't want to take him in the top 50. I'm, I'm all set with that. Yeah, that's great insight. I, and even just like, I, I don't think either of us want to take any reliever into the top 50, yeah, that's, but yeah. with a guy that uh, has so many warts like Hater, despite all the success throughout his career, it, it does seem like this might be where it starts to go downhill as he enters his 30s. I don't think either, either of us are in the boat that he's going to return to like his 2022 levels where he's actively bad, right. but just like a, a top three reliever is pretty hard to bank on especially considering he's got so much like better competition now when he was Mm -hmm. pitching for the brewers he was at his peak and so he's obviously not gonna be taken over by devin williams but when he was pitching in san diego it it wasn't like there was anybody there that was about to take over his job robert suarez is great um but there wasn't anybody that you felt oh man if josh Hader slips up a little he's gonna lose his job he was never at risk of losing his job and now going to a team where they've had a closer that's been one of the best in baseball throughout the past few years. He's been consistently a top 10 closer, not just because of his team context, but also because he's just a, a, a great pitcher overall. And n- not even just counting Ryan Presley, Brian Abreu, I think, is a, a top 10 relief right. pitcher regardless <laughs> of role. So I, I mostly feel bad for Abreu because it felt like this could be the year that he takes over. I, either Ryan Presley takes a step back or the new manager there finally starts to realize that you know, you, you don't really just give the closer role to the guy that has the most experience. Sometimes you just want the guy that's the best there. And maybe that's Brian Abreu, but this sort of locks him out of the closer role for at least a few years until we get uh, some idea of how good Josh Hader is going to be in Houston. But I think everything you mentioned about the fly ball rate with the Crawford boxes and also just having to live up to that massive contract and finally getting paid, mm-hmm. not saying he's a guy that's not going to, work for his success <laughs> in baseball but uh, there there is the consideration that this is a consideration for every player in my opinion sure. that once they get the money there's there's just like no reason to put in the same right. effort it's sort of the anthony rendon conundrum where a guy could be so good at baseball but if you give up or or you sort of become complacent once you get the money the league will catch up to you really fast. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that works out. I think best case scenario haters just incredible because he's going to have all of the leads handed to him on a platter because of the guy setting up for him. And the Astros are going to win a boatload of games, giving him plenty of opportunities, but there's plenty of risk here as well. Do you have any final thoughts on hater or anything you want to say about Kendall Graveman? Um, I just, yeah, I, I mean, you, you made it, it's a good point. And none of us, we're not, you know, we don't know what his thinking is, what his mentality is, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's something about the way that, you know, the Padres are fighting for a playoff. I know it was doubtful they're going to get a playoff spot, but the fact that he wouldn't, you know, he wasn't willing to stay in the game, like stay in games for more than three yep. outs. Selfish. It's just, is it's, what it's I'd just say. yeah, it's like the mentality kind of, it just, you know, now that he's, he's gotten paid and uh, I don't know it's you know especially too it's not just that it's also now I tend to stay away from guys who got big for a reliever this is a big contract so for guys who gotten a big contract and in a new space like a new place for the first year I usually stay away from them yep just because you know if you know new team new new city if if things get off to a bad start that can really that I mean I've, I've been from Boston I've seen it with so many guys that if you once if you get off to a bad start that can really derail like a lot of things there so um and and they have Presley to turn to and Abreu so even if Hater is the there's just a lot of question marks here for him you know going 45th overall currently and you know yeah in leagues for me to and- stay away. And they're they're not going to mess around like they're they're trying to win a hundred games like they do yeah. <laughs> every single year. So if if Hater starts faltering, they're going to be like, I don't care how much we're paying you, we're trying to win games. We have two completely uh, fine guys that can right. go out there and shut down games. So if they got to move Hater to a, a reduced role or put him on a, a an IL stint that mm-hmm. you know legitimate or not, we'll we'll see how that works out. But the, it's going to uh, be interesting to watch. Yeah, and, and and he, I believe he didn't, he didn't have an IL stint last year, right? 
and he only had i mean he hasn't i mean not that i mean 55 innings is fine but he hasn't his last three seasons he was 56 innings 50 innings 58.2 innings so it's not like he's you know workhorse Right. There's, I mean, I don't know. I, you, it's completely reasonable to believe that he and Presley and Abreu are just working some sort of, you know, matchup based system where, um, you know, if there's three lefties coming up in the eighth inning, are you going to go to Presley in the eighth or are you going to go to Hader in the eighth and then Presley in the ninth? You know, I, or, yeah. There's just a lot of things here where, and, and it makes me kind of interested in, I don't know where Presley, it's too early to tell mm-hmm. where Presley is going to be um, drafted in leagues now. It, 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 he could be another. He could be a kind of a late round tar, uh, flyer at this point, just to see if he is able to, you know, steal a oh, save or two a week. Probably more like a save a week, but that that still could have value. Same with Abreu, but I, I think Presley would probably be have a better chance to get vulturing saves at this point. Yeah, and in save plus holds leagues, I, I, he's going to be incredible. Yeah, both so, of them. Yeah, yeah. So that this will be a bullpen that is constantly on our lips and on our minds as we continue to go through the season. But yeah, Ashley's bullpen is to say the least, very, very dominant heading into 2024. Um, we can move on to the next one and that'll be the angels signing our guy or mostly mm. your guy, Robert Stevenson to a three year, $33 million deal. This one super interesting considering the success that Robert Stevenson had in the second half and just throughout his time with the Rays last year looked like one of the best relievers in baseball. And if you look at all the stats, he was the best reliever in baseball. I tweeted on December 3rd that in the second half, he had a 1.50 ERA across 24 innings. And he led all relievers with a 0.68 whip, a 1.83 XFIP, a 46.4% strikeout rate, a 42.9% strikeout minus walk rate, a 45.6% CSW, a 30.1% swinging strike rate, and a 19% hard hit rate. So basically any stat you can use to analyze a pitcher, whether that is like a rudimentary stat like whip or a, a fancy stat like CSW. He was the best reliever and it was absolutely incredible. We've talked endlessly about his transition from a slider to throwing it harder to mostly sort of become a cutter, but still just being a a harder slider. And it was just a huge change for a guy that has yet had yet to find success throughout his career, despite being a first round pick and, and a top prospect as a starter and going through multiple teams. But he finally figured things out and now he'll head to, Los Angeles, a team that for for what it's worth is not great with starters or not great with pitchers in general. And I and I don't think that's like uh they're not great at development. They're just bad at keeping pitchers healthy, especially in the majors. Part of it. And this is a guy that has dealt with health stuff in the past, but he will go to a bullpen that had a clear cut closer throughout all of 2023, who remains with the team in Carlos Estevez. I, I first question Robert Stevenson, is he the closer in Los Angeles? And then from there, uh, give me your opinions on if he can carry over his success from the race. <laughs> I mean, so I don't, well, first of all, I do think he can carry over his success from the race because he, the, the, the changes that were made, he shouldn't, those shouldn't just like, you know, disappear overnight just because he changed cities. Um, now the uh, the question on who's closing out games here is uh, more difficult and the early I think someone tweeted about you know I think it sounds like Estevez is still as of right now the closer uh, it's January still I mean we won't really know until March at the earliest but um I don't, I still would, I'm not drafting Carlos Estevez anywhere. I would take a chance on Stevenson if the price is right. And I think even with him signing there, I think, um, you know, I'm <laughs> for, for me, I'm, the more talk that I hear of like, oh, Estevez is still probably going to be the closer. Like that's okay. That's fine. I'll, I'll take, I'll gladly take Robert Stevenson at 250 yeah. or, you know, wherever it is that he's going after, after he signed here, because Sure, Estevez might be the closer in week one, but uh, what's he was one of the worst pitchers in baseball. Not even just the worst reliever, one of the worst pitchers in all of baseball in the second half of, of mm-hmm. last year. Um, 
and it's not like he's got a track record in Colorado. He was never particularly great and it's Colorado. I get it, but it, there's just so many, so many red flags of us to this that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm still in on Stevenson. I'm not, I don't know. I want to see, we need some more time to kind of see what his ADP turns out to be. Um, but it does, you know, I, I hate the team for him, but it, it does give him an opportunity to save, save games. And as bad as this, I mean, the angels have had some, I don't know if you want to call it bad luck or just bad management. Um, they're at least trying to put together a team that is somewhat competitable. Um, <laughs> even if they, you know, talks with them signing Joey Votto, I mean, they're, they're, I guess, trying to do something. So, uh, there, there could be some value here if he takes over the closer role early on in the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as long as you got Trout, you got to try to compete. At the very yeah, least, you got to try. So, right? And the, the pitching staff is always the place to go yeah. for that. And we saw them double down after signing Robert Stevenson. They went and brought back an old friend who had pitched for them in the first half past the first half of 2023 before he was released at the waiver deadline and landed with the Guardians and then went to the Marlins. This is Matt Moore. He signed a one-year $9 million deal, which is pretty crazy considering he's in his mid-30s, but he has found a lot of success across Mm -hmm. the past couple of years. We saw in 2022 with the Rangers, finally figured things out as a reliever, 1.95 ERA that year. And then last year, great once again, sub-3 ERA at 2.56. The strikeouts remained. He's around 27% across the past two years. And while he's not going to factor into the saves consideration, and I, I can say that because last year he was on this team with a worse bullpen, like without Robert Stevenson and had zero saves. So I expect him to right. not get any saves again, but he did surpass 20 holds and he is basically the only left-handed traditional reliever in this bullpen. So I think he's going to be one of the top holds options again. Do you think he's a guy that can continue the run that he's had? He was a former number one prospect ahead of Bryce Harper and Mike Trout way back in the day and somehow has finally figured everything out in his mid-30s as a reliever. But does this, I don't know, is this a landing spot that you feel good about considering that he's likely to have plenty of holds opportunities? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the worst one. I, I, I think, yeah, because of his success last year here. Um yeah, there there should be hold hold opportunities for him. I, I'm still not crazy. I, I I don't even know if I have him in the top fifty right now for holds. But wow, um, he's good. He's 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 decent. He's not it, this this whole bullpen. You know, now that you look at it with the, these two additions, it's you know very Jose solid. Sor- yeah, Soriano's good. Um, if Ben Joyce can stay healthy and throw strikes, mm-hmm. I mean, the sky's the limit for him. And even like. Luis Garcia uh, and Adam not, Simber too. Yeah, Garcia wasn't good last year, but he's been good in the past. And yeah, mm-hmm. Simber is, gives them that you know funky delivery from from the right side. So um, definitely, probably their strength right now is their bullpen, and um, there should be some holds for Stevenson more. And I I think Estevez can. I mean, he might be out of the picture early on with the. If Stevenson Moore, Soriano, and even if and if Joyce can figure things out, so yeah, I I do like more, but yeah, the 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 crown jewel here is definitely Stevenson. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no <laughs> doubting that. Um, the the way you talk about it though, it sounds like Carlos Estevez might be a bust, given that there are probably <laughs> a good number of people that are considering him the top option to be a closer. And if things go like they did in the second half of last year, he might not even be one of their top holds options. Yeah, I'm totally even. And right now in holds, I mean, I have him as like a out of the top 100, but he's still he's like a watch list guy. I I just he's shown even in the first half last year, which was good. It was there were still red flags all over it. It wasn't like he, you know, just like the dominated with pure skill he throws hard that's always been his you know he's always been kind of the thing we we look at well he he throws 99 but it just hasn't ever translated to anything it hasn't translated to swing and miss ability um and i don't know why this year all of a sudden it would with with the angels and just they're they're not great at developing pitchers which is why i think hopefully stevenson's already he, he knows what he has to continue doing 
and um, he's able to do that there. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've only got a few more signings to discuss. It's a bunch of veterans, but before we hop into those, we're going to take another break. And we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham on in the pen discussing transactions from the past week in terms of relievers. And we've sort of gone through all the big ones, but I think the last three we have here are actually pretty interesting, especially in saves plus holds leagues. We'll first go to the White Sox signing John Brebbia to a one-year $4 million deal. It comes with a $6 million mutual option that contains a $1.5 million buyout. Mutual options... I, I don't think I've ever seen a mutual option exercised just because there's always one side that if they're going to exercise it, it's because the other ones like they're benefiting over the other one. If a player exercises a mutual option, it's because they were bad the previous year. And if the club exercises it, it's because the player was good. So those rarely ever work out. So we'll consider this a one year deal. And I think that works out well for them because of the current state of their team. Not great. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to be like this year's Royals, where it's a Mm. team that is somewhat trying to win, but then they are like as bad as the A's, which nobody wants to be as bad as them. But with the current standing of the bullpen, where you got a bunch of just flyers, basically, and then Gregory Santos, who closed for the team to close out the year last year, um, it opens an avenue for John Brebbia to take over that closer role and then be a guy that's traded midseason to net the White Sox and prospects. And it's honestly pretty interesting, especially because I didn't expect Brebbia to sign for $4 million. That seemed high right. to me, but he's had a lot of success throughout his career. He had one bad season in 2021. He tossed 18 innings that year. I think he was injured. And every other year, sub four ERA, very solid. The only like real question is where does his strikeouts land? Because last year he was 29.2% and the previous year he was 18.8%. So that's like a 11 point difference. I I don't know. He's probably 25%, probably around where his career average is. But this is a pretty interesting guy. And I think if he is given the role then he can be fantasy relevant because he doesn't have to be that great. All he has to do is just go and get saves. Yeah, it's a sneaky, sneaky good addition for the White Sox. By the way, I just, fun fact, I faced John Brebby in high school. Um, really? <laughs> yeah. He seems um, like a great guy. Super funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I he was, in, he was at the town. He grew up in the town over from me. We're about the same age. So uh, yeah. anyway, he is a good fit for them because I, I I mean, obviously they need relief help there. I think the strikeout rate, I mean, I've always been intrigued even when he was with the Cardinals, his slider. Um, it's always a pretty plus pitch for, for, for me. So yeah, this is one of those, like you said, kind of like Chapman last year with the Royals. It's, you know, we'll get him for half a year, have him close out games and then see what we can see. We can get Cole Reagans for him. Um, but I, yeah, it does. I was so I was so hyped about Gregory Santos, but this does kind of put a dent because until they sign Brebbia, I mean, literally the rest of that bullpen is yeah, I, it's gross. And it makes a lot of sense, yeah. like from an arbitration perspective. I mean, this is the same argument I made for Mason Miller a couple couple weeks ago. Like, yeah. the, there's no reason for the White Sox to bump up Santos's arbitration price by making him a closer in a year where they are not likely to compete. Right then. Like, I mean, he had five saves last year, and it was all, pretty much all of those. Maybe all of them came after the dead, the dead, deadline. Mm-hmm. Probably similar thing could happen this year where Rebia closes out games until August, and then, you know, let Santos, if he's still healthy, get, you know, get his feet wet again in, in the closer role. Maybe 2025, he's the closer opening day. Yeah, that's a. It seems like the path that's going to happen, especially considering Santos is only going to be 24 this next year. So you don't want to make you don't want to hurt his arm while he's while he's still young. You don't want to overuse him or uh, put too much stress on him in general. But yeah, I I think John Brebby is a guy that. I don't think I would target in fantasy, but he's going to be one of those late options. I feel like similar to mm, like. I don't know, like Alex Lang last year where he was just like on a not great team and we weren't totally sure he was going to be the closer, but then he was the closer and was all right. And how do you feel about that comparison? Yeah. I mean, I feel like Lang was still going around. Well, 
when when did they trade Gregory Soto? I, after Soto was traded, I feel like Lang was going like around two hundred. I don't even think Brebia. I feel like Brebia could probably be had. I after three hundred at this point, I don't. And, and roster resource has right now. They have Santos and Brebia is splitting the closer role, but um, it it definitely makes more sense for Brebia to open the year in that role, um, to give them that trade chip because. Yeah, the, the the lineup's not terrible there, but the the whole pitching staff is yeah, it's yikes mm-hmm. outside of Cease. Yeah, do do you think he's going to be like a bottom five closer for you when your rankings come out? Probably, yeah. There's there's a lot of decent. There's a lot of good options. Um, oh yeah. So he's still probably bottom five, but he's not like this isn't you know whatever's going on in Colorado um, or or. Uh, probably higher than I mean if Mason Miller if we know Mason Miller is the closer I'd probably mm-hmm. have him higher uh, but I don't know if we're ever going to find that or if we're going to find that out before opening day yeah uh, yeah there's not too many guys I mean he's probably similar to Kyle Finnegan would you say right yeah I like that like Will Smith Kyle Finnegan I'll, I'll take him over both of those guys for sure yeah all right well don't get too excited but I, I think I think once we really start breaking down fantasy cases and sort of doing a like, would you rather on, on this guy or this guy? And we're in that, that like back five of, of the closer chart. I, I, it'll be interesting to see how he stacks up against the other guys. And if he's a guy that we mm-hmm. are favoring over somebody like Cal Finnegan or, you know, I, I think that's something that'll figure itself out over the next month, but th- that'll be very interesting to watch. We can also sort of touch on the White Sox signing Joe Barlow because he does have previous closer experience. He was signed to a minor deal and he's really hasn't done much since he pitched for the Rangers a couple of years ago and was a closer for a short period of time. Do you think this is a guy that could factor into at the very least holds in, in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely openings here. Um, I would imagine he's not on the 40 man. He's just a minor league, just a minor league signing, and he was didn't really pitch last year at the major league level. But I, yeah, they, they if if he can get back to where he was in Texas, um, there's some in, some little little bit of intrigue here because the, the just the lack of options in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So put that name in the back of your mind just to uh, be prepared. If something happens, he looks crazy in spring training or some, if he makes the roster, this will be a guy to put on your watch list if you're very desperate for saves. But we'll move on to the second to last signing. And that was Araldis Chapman signing with the Pirates for one year and ten and a half million dollars. Pretty crazy after he earned three and a half million dollars last year just to figure everything out with the Royals, get traded to the Rangers and win a World Series. But Chapman really had a renaissance last year unfortunately for people that aren't the biggest fan of his like we are but from a strict baseball perspective great signing because he was so good last year he throws super hard um really great slider and and has some couple third options that are super interesting but was just super dominant last year 41 percent strikeout rate low three zra and I don't think he's going to get a lot of saves considering they do have David Bednar in Pittsburgh and he was an all-star and is one of the most consistent closers in baseball over the past couple of years, but he will be their top holds option. And I like how this bullpen is looking. Yeah, that definitely lengthens because there's questions about Holderman. He's, you know, he's, he's okay as a reliever. He's a sinker baller. Doesn't miss a lot of bats. You know, you take the good with the bad with him, but, um, Chapman actually gives them like a, another threat in their bullpen where, I mean, he had 103 strikeouts last year in 58 innings. Um, wow. Yeah. He, he's still at 36. He hasn't really lost a step. And like I kind of mentioned with Hader, like he's, he's been able to develop his secondaries as he gets older and, you know, his velo hasn't gone anywhere either. I, I wonder if that's partially because he's not, he doesn't have to lean on his fastball as much or, you know, whatever it is, he, he's, he's still able to, you know, ma- maximize his velo, and it could be a similar situation though with him. I know Pittsburgh's trying to compete, compete, um, but there's, you know, I don't think I think they're at least a year away still. So I wonder if this is similar to um, to last season with Chapman, where he gets traded at the deadline, um, and mm-hmm. you know, Pittsburgh's just trying to, you know, see what they can get out of him for a couple months before 
yeah, seeing what prospect they can they can land or whatever, you know, if they can get Cole Reagans you know, or is, whoever that it, is. <laughs> is he going to be a top 10 holds option for you at the start of next year because of how dominant he was last year and his clear yeah. standing as like the number two guy in the Pittsburgh bullpen? Yes, I right, right now I think I have I have him in the top 10. Um, All right. And Pittsburgh doesn't move the needle one way or another because at least, you know, it's not the best landing spot um, for volume holds because I don't know what Pittsburgh is. The rotation still a question mark, but um, he's going to be the setup. He's going to be the top setup. It's just like Kansas City last year for him. You know, that's questionable. The rest of the team is questionable, but he has a locked in high leverage role. So he's going to have some value in in save plus hold leagues. All right, and we'll move to the last transaction as the Rangers signed David Robertson to a one-year deal between 11 and $12 million. They had been quiet all offseason, and this was a team that we expected to sort of double down after winning the World Series. You go out and you make another big move. You get the influx of postseason and World Series money, and uh, you go for back-to-back. So far, they've been quiet just across the board. They've Sign nobody in the lineup other than like some like smaller deals. Uh, and then the rotation has stayed the same and the bullpen, which seemed like the one area that they really needed to go and get somebody. And outside of getting Kirby Yates, they were just silent all year. And it really was confusing, especially as we saw all of the top relievers go off the board. Now I think both of us were in the, had the idea that one of Stevenson or Hader was going to go to the Rangers. And it even made sense for somebody like Chapman to go back to the Rangers, but they stayed quiet until right before this podcast, they signed the veteran David Robertson, who will be entering, I think his age 49, 39, 49, 30. wow, 39 <laughs> season. He's no social page, but that's uh he's had a pretty long career over 800 innings across his career, but He's yet to slow down. There was a couple years, 2019 to 2021, where it looked like things might be coming to a close, but that was likely uh, more so injury induced as he had been just a a workhorse for 10 years before that nine years from 2010 to 2018, where he pitched at least 60 innings and then uh, a three year stretch from 19 to 21, where he basically didn't pitch at all 18 innings across three seasons. And then, he just bounced right back in 2022 and 2023, more than 60 innings pitch in each of them, uh, low threes ERA last year and a 2.40 ERA in 2022. And while he's clearly not the guy he used to be, he is, I think, an underrated option. He's very solid. He's very reliable. And there's a possibility he could be the closer. He will be competing with Jose Leclerc here and likely Josh Spores at some point. But do you think David Robertson has a leg up over Leclerc? Uh, like, how, how do you how do you see this working out to begin the season? I mean, Bruce Bochy loves his veterans. So oh yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I mean, they've all they've added is Kirby Yates and Jose Leclerc, and I'm but he sure also loved Jose Leclerc in the playoffs are, last year. David, yeah, that um, that's true. I mean, and, and even Josh Spores, I. I, I do I, I think Leclerc deserve I mean Leclerc should get the first uh, uh first crack at saves and closings opportunities here but I mean if 11 to 12 they paid so Robinson's making more money than Chapman and Craig Kimbrell which is kind of wild to think about um wow cuz Robinson I mean Robinson went to when he went to Miami he was bad he that uh, trade worked out very favorably for the Mets last year. Mm-hmm. Um, 5.06 ERA in 21 innings with the Marlins after a 2.05 ERA with the Mets yeah. in the first half. Yeah, and he lost. I mean, that's when Tanner Scott took over the closer role and never looked back. So The um, the, the thing is that yeah. the XFIP was right in line with right. it and only rose by 0.08 points. The, the weird thing, though, is that like his strikeouts went way up, but also his walks did. His so walks. it was a really weird time for him i i don't know what was going on he had a 385 babbit yeah that's obviously some bad luck there um yeah he, i don't he's he's good he's gonna be 39 uh it's but i guess for him you know he, he's cutter reliant so his fast he doesn't you know velocity is not really a, a a big part of his game so the age isn't too too big of an issue um yeah, I mean, this just happened like two hours ago. So trying to like figure out mm-hmm. what, um, you know, I, 
it's worth a he's worth a flyer late late in drafts like 14 16 teamers um i'm sure you could still get him around you know after pick 350 i don't know after him signing it might he might you know rise up the the adp a little bit but um maybe that gives gives you a, a discount on leclerc who i'm I'm still not very. Uh, I'm very, you know. I was kind of down on Leclerc, but now if his if his ADP starts slipping, maybe he becomes a little bit of a value. A value, um, just because, yeah, he he was great in the playoffs for them, and I I feel like maybe Bochi has some sort of you know, um, he just feels like he he owes him you know at least to start the season as as closer and. Um, you know, go from there. But that's, you know, Jose Leclerc has never been good at starting the season off as a closer. That's always been his weak, weak point is the mm-hmm. beginning of seasons. Well, I, I really do think that this bullpen is going to be one of the most interesting closer battles and obvious one, right. of, one of the most impactful as well, given that the Rangers won a lot of games last year, likely to do so again this year. Uh, I feel like the only bullpen that rivals it in, tor- in terms of interest and impact is the Padres bullpen. I, I think the Padres mm-hmm. are going to be pretty solid next year and they do have a few options and Robert Suarez, Yuki Matsui and Wusak Go that probably going to be fighting each other. There are definitely going to be other bullpen battles, but I feel like those two are the most interesting to me in that I I don't know. I, I think that's what makes it so interesting. I don't know who's who's going to take over that role. Like with with all the other ones in, in Chicago, the, the White Sox, like I, I expect Brebbia to take that one over. In Kansas City, probably Will Smith as well. In uh, LA, we both are on the same spot as Robert Stevenson in Oakland. It's just, they're not, there's not going to be any saves to go around. So it doesn't even matter. And then in, uh, I, I, uh, Philadelphia, Jose Alvarado should have that role, but yeah, he's a you big never know all this. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's so many roles. Uh, there, there's so I'd, many battles that I, I think are already decided or right. are just not impactful enough where it's like, it comes down to this Padres and Rangers one that are going to be super impactful in terms of fantasy. Yeah, those are the two ones that stick out. And, um, you know, Alvarado being a winner from, you know, the Phillies were linked to Hayter. They were linked to Stevenson, I believe, too. Um, and also, uh, Adbear Alzale, also a winner. I mean, no, no Hayter to the Cubs. Yep. Um, you know, the only other, I, I, there's been some smoke between, you know, an Emmanuel Class A trade to Chicago. And you know Kenley Jansen's also available, so maybe they they go the trade route to add another reliever. But yeah, um, Alzale it looks safe for anyone who or Evan Phillips as well in LA. And like there was a lot of you know hater and and Stevenson interest from the Dodgers. So mm-hmm. Evan Phillips is uh, his stock should be rising as well. Yeah, so those will definitely be some battles that we'll be looking at throughout the preseason as we enter. February where you know pitchers and catchers report and we really start to get a taste of the oncomings of the baseball season Uh, but to reward the people that stuck around for this long we'll give you a taste of some of our deep sleepers uh, really quickly as we are already past the hour mark here Uh, who are some guys that you're looking at past pick 400 that you think would be great for our listeners to hear and to, to consider if they are doing very early fantasy drafts. Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's some of the names that they're one, especially in the save only leagues. It's like those guys who are really good setup, man, who are just, you know, one injury or trade or something away or what, you know, a bad week from their closer away from taking over the role. So, you, you know, you look at Kevin Ginkle in, in Arizona uh, we talked about, you know, Alvarado and Philly, but who knows what happens there. There's, you know, Jeff Hoffman's was excellent last year. He's mm-hmm. currently, you know, ADP at 469. Um, and just like Alzale is safe in Chicago, but if he gets off to a rocky start, who do they turn to? Julian Merriweather is definitely my second favorite option there. Um, you know, maybe Griffin Jacks in Minnesota with um, Duran has had some injury history. So. Uh, you never know what happens there. Uh, Eric Swanson in Toronto. Uh, even going back to to Philly with Gregory Soto, it was a closer. He has closer experience. He really pitched well for them. It was kind of a sneaky good season for him last year. Um, you know, and then even with the you know David Robertson addition, I still think Josh Spores is probably the 
best or at least most talented option, best strikeout upside in that bullpen. And you know, Spores is going at six fifty five. There's there's crazy, you know, you can have him for free and you know, at least you're gonna get strikeouts and hopefully good ratios from him. Um and then yeah, Trevor McGill, Milwaukee, we talked about him on PitchCon tonight as a very deep sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um he's the second he's in my opinion, with no doubt second best reliever in Milwaukee. Um Devin Williams could be on the move. I don't know. They they signed Reese Hoskins, so maybe they are gonna try to compete at least for the first half of the year. But if they fall out of it in the first half, perhaps Williams is, you know, available. That could open up some things for Trevor McGill. Great. Well, I hope that was worth it for the listeners to wait all all the way there. If you're in really deep leagues, this will definitely help you out if you're looking for either closers to stash for holds or with the possibility of even saves here as well. All these guys, I think, are very interesting cases. And we'll dive into them more as we enter draft season in February and March. And we'll we'll dive deeper into these guys and really give you a good idea of the landscape in terms of relievers in fantasy baseball but that's going to do it for this episode of in the pen rick plug your work and where they can find you on twitter and anything else you got going on yeah um you can find me on twitter at i am rick graham um currently working on the initial 2024 rankings those should be out when we launch um which is in what two weeks i believe February 6th, so keep a lookout for rankings day, February 6th, I believe, maybe 5th, one of those two days. Um, But yeah, working on the initial rankings and getting close to being finished with those. Great. Did you say your Twitter? I can't remember. I, I, yeah, I mentioned it. I'll say it again. It's I am Rick Graham on Twitter. (laughs) There I go. Uh, Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) All right. Give him, give him a follow. Um, (laughs) You can also give me a follow at Jake Crumpler. And I've been working on a lot of stuff. You know, I've uh, been pumping out articles. I have to do one right after this. Uh, I had one come out earlier this week. I had one come out last week. I'll have another one come out tomorrow, hopefully. And obviously, I got my other podcast, Free Baseball, which we do every single week. That one's super interesting, more of a general baseball one. But yeah, once again, at Jake Crumpler on Twitter. And you can follow the pod at In The Pen Pod on Twitter as well. Once again, make sure to tune in to PitchCon to get some incredible content that you won't find anywhere else, as well as to raise money for ALS. But that'll do it for this episode of In The Pen. We'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks. Bye.